A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. I am one of your hosts, Jen Romolini. Our other host is Kim France. And this week, we're going to do something a little different. Kim had some travel snafus, so I conducted the interview with our guest today, Sloane Crosley, by myself. Hope you enjoy it. Sloane has a new book coming out this week called Grief is for People, which we really loved a lot, and I love Sloane. And it's an interesting conversation about grieving a friend and about growing older. And anyway... I missed Kim a lot. I hope you like it. Kim will be back next week. Thanks so much. Our guest today is Sloane Crosley. Sloane is the author of the novels Cult Classic and The Clasp, as well as three essay collections, including the New York Times bestsellers, I Was Told There'd Be Cake, and How Did You Get This Number? Her latest book, Grief is for People, is out now. Welcome, Sloane. Welcome to you. No, just kidding. <laughs> this is a joy. It's such a joy to see you, to speak with you. Very happy to be here. Same, same, same. Um, just full disclosure for listeners, Sloan and I um, go back a long time and have not seen each other in, we can't even, I, I can't calculate. I don't, I'm going to, I'm going to guess the, the single digit century time. So I think it I would think be so like too. actually maybe 2009, 2008. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think there was there was a restaurant I remember going to where everybody went in the West Village. I cannot remember the name of it, but it had a, a pig or a, a spotted pig. Spotted pig. That might yeah, be the last the time we ever of, were together. Oh wow, <laughs> that's a um, that has sort of a scandalous tentacles that that reference because I think that uh, the third room of the spotted pig is what brought the spotted pig down. The activities that. Oh took yeah. Place there. yeah, it became it became. But at that, that time, great who knew? Pasta. <laughs> who knew? We were going. We're also going to like lit the lit bar that was owned by what was this? Lit Sebastian Lounge. Younger. No, but also Sebastian Younger oh, had one. Yeah. Like remember that? Oh, uh, the Half King. Yes, the Half King. The Half King had that reading series that was so yes. good. Spent a lot of time in there. It wasn't. I'm like great. I'm like gather around children a bar <laughs> with a reading series. <laughs> exactly the old New York Times. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, 
We're laughing Good to now. see you. It's good to see you. But we're going to talk about your book, which is sad. <laughs> it's sad. Well, it's funny too, but it is uh, the 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 main theme is is not joy necessarily. I loved your book. I Thank just want to say it. I loved it. I thought it was really smart. I thought it was really well paced. I thought it said things that I have not heard about grief and about friendship and about all kinds of things. And I thought you did it in a really clever way. And it was very sneaky in ways, you know, like you snuck some things in. I really, really liked it. It's a great book. Uh, thank you. Thank You're you very so welcome. much. So this recent book is about loss and grief, um, specifically about the loss of one of your closest friends to suicide. And I just want to ask you, like, how are you doing talking about this and having to be on a book tour about this very tender and painful topic? Hi. Um, that is a considerate question, which sounds like a politician's response. I'm so happy you asked that, Jean. <laughs> That's not your name. Um, close, close well, enough. I figure out what to say. I think, you know... There's a there's an old Capote quote where he says you should I'm, – I'm instantly going to butcher another writer's quote. It's a great way to start this off. But uh, something about how all your tears should be dry before you set pen to paper. And I yeah. – not to disagree with the master, but I feel like uh, eh, you have to have some crumpled tissues nearby. Do you yeah. know? So I feel yeah. like the same thing is true of the promotion of the book where mostly, mostly it's fine. Mostly I, the anxiety I experience is – the same book anxiety I would experience if I wrote a book about like the history of pineapple farming in the United States, but you know, who's going to cover it? What are they going to say? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But I feel like every once in a while, someone will ask me something that sort of pierces the veil. Mm -hmm. And I just, it's so trippy um, that this even still happened. You know, the book is structured around loosely around the five stages of grief, which are loose in in and of themselves. Um, but sometimes I feel like my version of grief, you know, like it's a perfume, it smells different on everyone. <laughs> my yeah. my version of it is to sometimes really be sort of still stuck in denial, still convinced that my friend had a bad oyster and is in the bathroom. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Like in a genuine way. Um, and so I feel this sort of disconnect with all, all the uh, emotions I went through because I wrote the lion's share of it over the pandemic. Um, oh and God. now it's like I'm touching back down into it, but not in a psychologically dangerous way because the truth is, is I, I love talking about him um, and I'm proud of the book. So that sort of keeps me from, I guess, having a nervous breakdown. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yeah. yes. Um, let's talk about him. Who was he? Who was yeah. he to you? Let's talk about him for a sure. second. So basically, should I do the overarching thing of the book? Like the whole thing? Yeah, do the whole, okay, thing. Do do the, the whole do thing. thing. Do the thing. Yeah. Okay, so page one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> How long is this podcast? <laughs> as long as we want. <laughs> as long as we want. Um, okay, so basically what happened was in uh, – Late July, July, or actually, excuse me, in June uh, of 2019, I left my home for one hour and came back. Uh, I was just doing errands and came back, uh, and all my jewelry was gone, and I had been burglarized. Someone had broken in. Their muddy boot prints were on my bed, um, which, on a side note, like, not a very good thief. Um, why am I seeing <laughs> boot prints? It just occurred to me just now. <laughs> but um, I'm like, wow, oh, that guy didn't have a lot of skills, but he did uh, make off with every uh, piece of jewelry I'd ever been left by my grandmother or great-grandmother. It's 
it was not good. Um, yeah. And then it was a collection. It was a collection. It was a collection, but yeah. it was also not a collection. Um, part of the mystery, the book is about, you know, several interlocking mysteries. Uh, one, which we've already discussed is coming, which will be a lot bigger than the burglary, but it's, I don't walk around, um, you know, I'm not like King Kardashian. No one's going to like break into my hotel room in Paris. Like there's no reason really. Right. So right. For your diamond baffling. grill. Right. Yeah. To right. find out. Exactly. Well, obviously right. that. Sure. Maybe. But um, anyway, so uh, one of the people trying to help me solve this mystery or a uh, person who I was really leaning on um, was my former boss at Vintage Books, where I worked for almost a decade as a publicist at Random House was my former boss, Russell Perot. Um, and we were extremely close. I mean, the way I describe us in the book is people who sort of swap positions as they do in experimental theater were like, someone's the husband, someone's the boyfriend, someone's the yeah. brother, someone's the annoying friend, you know, like I, someone's, it just, we were just extremely, extremely close, like a real right. partnership of a friendship. Um, and I adored him very much. And, uh, he was like, you know, part of the skyline for me. Yeah. And um, about a month after the burglary, um, we were having dinner. We, you know, he was supposed to cat sit for me. Uh, we were having dinner. Uh, and that was his sort of payment for the cat sitting was me buying him a lobster roll. And <laughs> then um, he hugged me and I was so upset about the jewelry. And his last words that he ever said to me uh, when he hugged me were, well, if it's any consolation, you can't take it with you when you go. And then three days later, uh, he died by suicide at his house in Connecticut. And that's uh, needless to say uh, where we really enter the Thunderdome yeah. <laughs> of grief. Yeah. So the the burglary becomes intertwined yeah. um, as sort of a symbol of loss and of these of of the unknown and the frustration and wanting to stop the kind of bleed of loss. But really the book is about him, his death. Um, and part of the reason I wrote the book is it's such a tribute to the people that I think you and I kind of know the behind the scenes people in the arts. Um, and it's a tribute to our friendship. Um, and then hopefully in that detail, it becomes something that other people can relate to, which is the point of, of writing. Yeah, but of course, yeah. but he was a wonderful, irreverent, um, generous, highly energetic, brilliant, wildly inappropriate person. Yes. And yes. And that's <laughs> what I got from the book. And also the kind of person that used to be, there used to be a lot of them in New York. Mm -hmm. That's That was sort of well, why I think, that's why I think he we moved. Because yes. he wasn't alone. He wasn't like Falco the owl or whatever. <laughs> That's right. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Like, and I think that I don't know because I haven't been to New York in a while, but I do feel like there are fewer and fewer Russells in the world. Like yes. the kind of boss who can, who not like being inappropriate where you feel like it's, it's, you know, it's just, just saying it like it is like that's sort of very yeah, direct. No, just kind not of, yeah. worried. No, yes. he was never, I should say he, he wasn't the kind of person who would, you know, not lording sex over people in order no. for them to get promotions. He's not, it's, it's nothing, nothing like that, but he might say something that, I mean, really, I, I mean, I, hopefully I paint him in all his glory, which is to say that I also paint his flaws. And yeah, he would say things at some point, my assistant walked into a meeting and she wore like very preppy 
but form-fitting clothes, like out of the 50s or something like that. And she walked in with this cardigan that had some like very overworked buttons down the middle. And uh, he looked it up, up at her and it was like in no time at all, he was just so sharp. He looked at her and he said, oh my God, it's like you walked into Talbot's and said, give me the sluttiest thing you have. <laughs> and I'm, I was like, oh no. Right, <laughs> and I remember right. pulling her over sort of after the meeting and say, you know, he's very funny, but if he ever says anything that bothers you, I hope you'll let me know. And this is before the Me Too, this is before anything. And she was like, no, it's fine. He had just finished sort of fighting for her raise. So there was an acceptance of this kind of a person who was not poisonous, who was not nefarious, who was not also like kind of beating a younger generation over the head with being from an older generation. It was just, right. and, but I do think he got swept up uh, in the rules that we needed that came after Me Too. Yeah. Yeah. But just that sort of like, we don't talk, people don't talk to each other in that way anymore. No. That's not the way we talk that, to each other. Yes. Yeah. Do you think, and well, I, personally, I still have friendships where where there's there's a bluntness. Yes. But even then, I think also we've all become just, maybe it's a post-pandemic thing. It's always easy to blame the pandemic in terms of yeah. why we're so sensitive now. I don't know. Yeah. People aren't as blunt as they used to be, I think, for yeah. sure. But anyway, I, I enjoyed seeing him. I, I knew him. I understood him. Um, was this your first experience with grief at this scale? Oh, wow. Um, he, I would say it's my first experience with this brand of grief. Um, okay. Both my parents are luckily, uh, knock on wood, uh, in decent health and alive right now. Um, so is my, you know, my immediate family. Um, I've had friends die. Um, actually, friends we have in common, I think. Uh, but um, I've never known anyone who died by suicide. I was in a wedding right after college graduation, and I walked, you know, I was sort of paired with a brother of the groom mm -hmm. who I had never met. And I remember I walked up the you know, aisle with this stranger, you know, as part of the wedding. And then two days later, he, uh, he had died of like a heroin overdose. And I remember thinking that's so strange that I've had this yeah. strange Venn diagram, this, this tiny little bit of overlap of touching some sort of veil. Um, and then, but that, I mean, the fact that I'm even bringing that up only highlights how much the answer is no. I've never had loss of this scale or this type. It's really the yeah. type. Yeah. You know, I just haven't known anyone who's died by suicide like this. And the the just the immediacy of that. It's just so it's yeah. so have it's you so abrupt. I have I have really my parents were teenagers when they had me and they're, you know, also in good health. Um yeah. and I haven't and I'm, you know, I'm stealing myself for it because I'm, you know, I'm going to be 51 years old next month and this month and like I am like this is all coming for me. And I haven't really I experienced know. grief at that level yet. The loss of a parent, yeah. the loss of a sibling. I've had friends who I've lost and it it is profound, but it's it's not that primal kind of relationship. So anyway, so I, I think about that a lot because we've talked a lot about grief on this show. And um, it's... I do think it's something you should write about right away. I've had friends who wrote grief memoirs and I do think because I think that you're so in it and it's so specific mm -hmm. that I think that it, the rule does not apply to this pain because I think you need to capture it. Well, I think that's true also because uh, your non-writer inclination as a human being is 
you know, not to forget, but to heal, right? It's yeah. just to like put it somewhere, uh, which is not always conducive to explaining what it's like. Do you know, yeah. the, the, the inclination is to like get through it, not to like retell the story again and again, as you would, let's say, an essay about a breakup or something like yeah. that. Um, yeah. And it's to somehow figure out how to digest it. But I feel like yeah. the when you talk about the preparation I think about that too. You know, I've started to have these conversations with my sister and, and about our parents and um, not that there's anything wrong. And the conversations are very light for now where, you know, do you know what they're doing about this? No. Do you? Okay. Well, I guess I'll see you for dinner at eight. You know, they're yeah, not, yeah, yeah. they're not, they're what are their finances? There. Yeah. Like, they're like, what? I don't know. Well, they're out there somewhere. We'll find out. huh? <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think this is going to be like knives out. What, you know, there's not going to be a surprise inheritance that right, I don't right. know about. Right. So. But it's more like, uh, but with this, what it does do is start bracing you for the surprise, for the things yes. you, for which you cannot plan, which is different. And I try to, you know, I touch on that a little bit in the book that, you know, a sudden loss versus a, a loss that you prepare for, they both, um, they neither are great, yeah. um, but there is that extra layer of frustration with a sudden loss. That doesn't have to be suicide. It could be an accident. Yeah. Um, yeah. That is just a real... Uh, you just sort of the math is sort of worked backwards instead of forward. So instead of preparing for you know what's it going to be like to be untethered and walking this world without my parents, um, and that has nothing to do with me being close to them or not. Just simply, it's almost like suddenly you came from nowhere. It's so strange. So that's sort of math you're working forwards, but uh, a suicide, uh, a tragic accident, I think these things work backwards and you start thinking of the last time you saw them or what led yeah. to it, you know? It's almost like forensics. It becomes, yeah. it's so, it's so fast that it's a mystery, right? It's a mystery. It's a mystery. And like, could I have changed something and could I have? But the thing is with the suicide, I, I really try to, like part of the point of the book is to be like, I don't think I could have – I think there's – everything is, you know, yeah. everyone's a special snowflake in terms of how they die. So – but I don't feel – so there are ways that if this is someone who is struggling with going on and off medication and therapy yeah, um, and that I could have intervened with that, sure, I guess I might have a little – an extra layer of guilt that's sort of like a patina on how I feel. Yeah. But like I feel like it's almost like – a weird hubris-y question when people say, you know, oh, did you know? Yes. Or like, oh, is there anything I could have done? And I'm like, I personally, me, like I'm a superhero. I'm going to stop a 52-year-old cogent man with no history of being in therapy from, what am I going to tie him to a radiator? Like, right. I, like I, I can't. So I feel like there's a weird thing where I'm like, no, I don't actually think that I can do everything is really the answer to those questions. A hundred percent. And I think that we think about these things in the wrong way. And and and, yeah. and there's also like an un, unknowableness to all of us, right? There's just like, there's only so much we actually know each other. And that's, I think that's one of the hardest things for people to wrap their head around, you know, like, oh, well, we're close, but we're this, yes. but we're, it's like, we're unknowable to each other ultimately. Yes. Yes, it's really and it's it's actually kind of amazing. What is the there's a um, I'm gonna mess it up, but is it a right. Zeno's paradox? Is that the thing? Do you know? What I'm, I'm gonna talking get about? it. I'm no, I'm gonna get it wrong. Okay, it's basically <laughs> that thing which is uh, this is uh, obviously I was not a physics major, but basically mm -hmm. you can never actually touch something because everything is yeah. always 
sort of divided by itself constantly. And so like you'll never, two points will almost ever never actually reach each other. Yeah. Um, so that's my uh, poor physics analogy for what you're saying. <laughs> no, it's it's a great analogy. No, I, there's a part in the book where you write, um, no one is obliged to learn something from loss. This is a horrible thing we do to the newly stricken, encouraging them to remember the good times while they're still in the fetal position, like feeding steak to a baby. I mean, that line is incredible. Um, but <laughs> thanks. What else did you find like that we get wrong when we're trying to comfort those who are grieving? Because that's there's a, there's some anger in this book. You're pissed. You're like, what the fuck are these books and everything? I am like, so happy you said that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm happy you said it because I think you know it's divided. And then I'll I'll answer your question, but it's yeah. divided roughly in these five parts, right? So it's not yeah. essays. It's actually linked. Yeah, um, in these five chapters, and so much of the anger section is about never. Of of wanting it, being like, okay, I'm ready. You know, not yeah. that the stages are so definite, but that I'm yeah. ready to at some point experience anger. But saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not even going to know it's about him when it arrives, and I, I feel like I'm angry at everyone else who's not him. Yes, um, and I'm like, where's the anger? Where's the anger? And then only when I finish the book, I'm like, oh, the whole book is angry. The whole book I'm is angry. Really pissed. The whole book <laughs> is angry, and I was I'm like, angry. this is great. <laughs> I'm royally pissed. I'm pissed that this person who I love so much didn't get an obituary. And so yeah. I feel like I joke around, but it's real. I'm like, I got 200 pages worth of real mad that he yeah. didn't get an obituary. But I feel like one of the things to remember that I was shocked with him myself, um, people were so nice to me. You know, people say idiotic things because they're trying and failing, but you can't police right. them too much, right? Right. They're just right. trying to help. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes when bad things happen, whether it's, again, whether it's a burglary, a breakup, a death, whatever it is, unfortunately, we still have to work within the confines of the English language. And so all the trite things that we've used to express pity or sorrow, empathy for when someone loses their job, like, or, you know, I'm sorry for your loss. Oh, that sucks. I'm so, you know, that's yeah. terrible. What can I yeah. do? Yeah. I, get applied to this. We, it's like, that's my name. You'll wear it out. And now there's no language almost left for right. when something truly horrific has happened. And the thing, this sounds so negative, um, but a big part of the thing that I had to learn or realized about myself is that I think a grieving person, they need you, but they are not to be trusted. <laughs> and the reason why is because if someone is really hurting and misses someone so much. I feel like these lovely people who are trying to be there for me, who are my dear friends. It's a kind of insanity where I thought, you know, I would throw any of you into the street and over a cliff to get my friend back. Oh. It's this horrible feeling of like, I'm like, you're just, you have all, no matter what you say, you have committed the crime of not being able to bring him back. Why are you here? You know, this horrible, um, sort of inability to accept to accept condolences in that way yeah. Yeah. Um, because I'm like just feeling like you don't know what you're talking about even though there's that great um, now I will hopefully get this right there's that um, James Baldwin quote where he says uh, you think your pain and your heartbreak are unprecedented in the history of the world and then you read yeah you know you're not alone no. <laughs> but no. it's just this like so I think what I would say is that like to me it's like declarative sentences especially there's a sort of macabre um, curiosity about suicide where people yeah. are like, just instantly the knee-jerk response is, did you know? 
you know, had he been sick? How did it? And people, and I'm like, don't just say you wish you knew him. Say you're sorry for my loss. And even maybe just point out how try. I think it's so easy to just be like, I know there's no other language, but I am really sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that it's like, we're so curious because it's like an infection we think we can catch and we're like yes. what what is what tell is me ha- yeah you know, tell me how yeah, to use me. how to use your story but i'm like i can't believe you're trying to use like i i'm not i'm not raw material for you right now yeah. even though i know you're scared about yourself yeah. and your own friends let's take a quick break from some ads Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. And we're back. You write fiction as well. What were the challenges switching to memoir? I mean, what was like that? Was it a challenge? Was it like, was it anything? That's such like a a writer question. But like, was it? I'm just curious because this is a painful topic and like, you're now writing as yourself, right? Yeah. I mean, you're always writing as yourself, right? It's just, but I think, you know, they say every character in fiction is a version, you know, uh, of of the writer, which is, you know, scary in the case of Lolita, but the point is, is that um, I feel like, so I had handed in, uh, I had finished pretty much the last draft of cult classic, my last book when Russell died. Um, so I had handed, I mean, I had changes to make to it, but I had handed that in uh, the what I consider the first day of the pandemic, March 1st, 2020. I handed mm-hmm. um, oh, right. yeah, totally. a book and I'm like, okay, have fun publishing this. Like, we don't know if there's going to be publishing houses or zombies or paper shortages. I'm like, I just feel like, like, well, this is sort of dumb, but here's a book. Right, um, right, right. And then I sort of started, right. And, and because the whole world had uh, mm, switched frequencies that's uh, with that's the pandemic, nice. yeah. you know, I feel like this book that, you know, we have in our hands now, Grief is for People, really matched the frequency of death being everywhere and me working alone in my apartment during the pandemic. And you could argue that, like, one never knows what to do. Like, does working on a depressing book during a depressing time make it worse? I mean, honestly, yeah. the, I made myself laugh as much as I made myself cry. It's like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In the book, well, because like he's he's a very very funny person who died, you know. 
like I'm not mourning a, a schmuck, you know. No, so, so, right, so it's like right. you've got or like a drip or whatever, you know. It's so right, like, right, right, right. So, but um, but it wasn't like I'm sort of used to it because I wrote two books of essays, um, then a novel, then a book of essays, then a novel, then this. Yeah. So I've okay. actually been on the every other one track for a little okay. while. Okay. Yeah. Hopping back and forth. Yeah. In terms of the anger. You're like, let's be- get back to your anger issues. Well, no, because I think that. <laughs> no, we'll focus it was on a, that. <laughs> I, look, I really, I found it very refreshing and I like seeing angry women. I think that we're yeah. very uncomfortable with angry women, but I wonder. Also, it takes one to, not, not that you're yeah, angry, no. but to, to no. pick up on it. You're the first person who's been like, it's an angry book. I'm like, thank you. Yeah, thank no, you. It, you're, you're pissed. <laughs> um, did you think about depicting yourself as a character in the story did you think about like mm. am i am i am i going am I to be unlikable am i a character am i an angry character god man i've given up <laughs> feeling worried about likability sometime maybe 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 about sometime around the last time i saw you sometime around 2009 <laughs> okay <good>. i <laughs> mean you don't the reason the there's it's not entirely true like fundamentally the way i write especially when it comes to narrative nonfiction is I do think you actually are obliged to entertain people. In this case, that means depressing them or pulling at their heartstrings. But that's a form of entertainment. I don't think just the confessional writing, um, sort of confessing for for the sake of it, I think it's like a monkey with a typewriter. Occasionally, you will type Shakespeare doing that. But for the most part, it's just sort of blather. So for, for me, there has to be some structure where I'm concerned about uh, if if I'm so unlikable that people stop reading, yeah, then I yeah I care I care a lot, but right. I don't feel on a sort of micro level I suppose worried. Oh, is that an unlikable line? Is that a weird thing I just did? Um, am I alienating? Do people think I'm a snob? That's the yeah. biggest thing when you're writing and you live in a city is everyone yep. else thinks you're a snob. Yeah. Oh, totally. Because you're using proper names. I mean, it's funny if you do a deep dive about some of the reviews for the Year of Magical Thinking, they're like, what's up with all the proper nouns? (laughs) Wow. Wow. Yeah. 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 They're like, they're like, they're like, oh, it's just, you know, so, so, and even I, I mentioned in my book, even I am not uh, immune to that. Like at some point I talk about remembering this detail from the Year of Magical Thinking after Russell died, where Joan Didion talks about shortly after John dies, Julia Child dies. And, you know, she uses as a sort of bullet point to her crazy state yeah. to say, she uses this incident to say, oh, good. Now John and Julia can have dinner together in heaven. And I know she was trying to say, hey, look how crazy I am. But what yeah. I took away from that is you're friends with Julia Child. <laughs> so, like, I'm not immune <laughs> to to that. But at a certain point, um, if you're going to shy away from the facts of your life or from the sort of nuances of your personality to that much of a degree. I don't know why you're writing to do something else. Then if you're worried, <laughs> if you're worried about it, go, go, go open a restaurant. That's hard enough. <laughs> okay. That's okay. <laughs> exactly. That'll be as hard. Yeah. It seems pretty yeah. hard to me. <laughs> exactly. That'll be as, as bad yeah. as writing, maybe worse. Um, yeah. If you're self, if you're a self-flagellating masochist, it'll yeah. be good. Um, so there, there, um, you know, forgive me and excuse me, but I'm going to read two lines from your book because this is kind of taps into another thing that I think this book is about. I think okay. this book is angry, but I also think this book is about performance of self. Mm. Okay. So okay. 
You write of Russell, your friend. (laughs) He is my favorite person, the one who somehow sees me both as I want to be seen and as I actually am. And there are a lot of sneaky sentences in this book that nod at a performance of self, I think. And Mm. later in the book, you write that Russell's addiction to performance served not only as a supplement to life, but too often a replacement for a story of his own. Yes. And I wonder if there's something in this book that's also a midlife reckoning. Mm. Because you're in your 40s, Russell was in his 50s. This is a time where we start reckoning with the performance of self, right? I agree. And sort of I'm not facing nodding. ourselves. I shouldn't do that yeah, on no, podcast. That's yet. okay. And facing ourselves down. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you how you thought about the performance of self and how you wrestled with it in writing this memoir, his performance of self, yours, you know, how they interacted, if you thought about that at all. I did. I did. I did. And I think it can be so isolating because the, the, you think as he thought, um, you think of yourself as genuine, I hope. I mean, I think even the most full of shit people don't walk around being like, wow, I'm really full of shit. I mean, it would take Right, you know, it's funny what what other people can pick up in the coffee shop. Uh, you're going to need a therapist to tell you, <laughs> you know. Um, but but I feel like I do think he wrestled with that, and I think it isolated him because I think the world around him, specifically his work world and the media world, mm-hmm. uh, and socially, what happens in middle age is you have your people who can tolerate you and who you can tolerate, where you just sort of grow like bonsais around each other and you're com- with these completely warped trunks that are yeah. essentially unsuitable <laughs> when you take them out. Because if you've ever been in a situation where let's say you tomorrow, um, you have lovely wallpaper behind you. And let's say I had to send you to a wallpaper convention in Vegas where you didn't know anybody and you had to make a bunch of friends and like break off into teams. What a living nightmare to have to like have no shorthand with anyone else, you know, and to sort of cut your teeth or, or, or sort of prove yourself and hone your skills from scratch. And so I think we think of ourselves as just sort of open and genuine. And then as you get older, if you're ever put into a situation where people don't give you the benefit of the doubt, you're like, oh, wow, I'm really rusty at this. Yeah, It's like reality television where you see those like, you know, one-on-one interviews where there's someone tearful being like, I'm really well-liked at home. (laughs) You know, know, no one has ever described me as a little much. (laughs) (laughs) And I just, and like all of middle age feels like that. (laughs) Right. Well, it's because it's like things become kind of fixed. Yes. And he struggled with it because his story, when I talk about the storytelling, it's like, you know, this is someone who promoted stories for a living and they became these almost like symbols or talismans of who yeah. he was. He was made up of his references yes. as a lot of us are, but I think yes. no one questioned it with him because the references weren't 80s movies, you know, where you're like, get a personality beyond this. You know, they're books, they're Shakespeare, they're Sondheim. Who's going to say like, get a better interest? Right. Right. And who's going to poke underneath? Because when somebody is charming and smart and, and, you know, and engaging, it it is almost like a mask because you're not going to poke around and be like, well, what do you think? What do you really think about that? What's your internal life? We don't, we don't, that's not the way we engage even in 
some of our most intimate friendships. It's not necessarily how we engage with each other. Well, also, I think you start slotting people. It's so funny. It's like, I feel like you learn everything you need to know about life when you're like in third grade with all the aphorisms, you know, where they're like, oh, don't judge a book by its cover for grief. You know, the only way out is through, like all this yeah. stuff. Yeah. And then there's like a really long period of time for decades where you're like, oh, I get it. And I've applied all these things really successfully. And then it's like, we get tired. I'm just tired of using it. And now, yeah, I probably judge more people by their covers yeah. than I did like 10 years ago. I'm yes. like, ah, oh, this old chestnut. Yes. <laughs> and Russell yes. would slot it into like, unfortunately, like Tosca or Carmen, but it's the same thing, you know? Yeah. He'd meet somebody yeah. and be like, oh, you're this kind of person. This is how the world will treat you. Yes. You know? We're less open. We're, we start getting it's less closed. Open. He was still joyful though because like you're saying, the, the charm and the joy will cover yeah. that up. But he was pretty – I guess it's judgment. I don't know. Well, because we our interests become narrow, because, narrower because we feel like we've yeah. seen it all. We've done it all. Yes. And when – at the time when we really need to become more open and yes. start like – redefining who we are. It's a very midlife is a, it's, it's well, yeah, also you're not yes. said yeah. dead yet. I mean, I feel no. like this idea of like, you're gonna, you know, obviously we're talking about someone who, uh, died before his time yes, uh, or her decided that his time, uh, was then I disagree. Um, yes, right. <laughs> as does everyone who loved him. Uh, but you know, aside from those, terrible instances that we've been talking about, you're going to live a long time. <laughs> yeah. And you have to uh, figure out how to renew yourself again and again within those, you know, without feeling like you're starting from scratch, you know. And sometimes you can start from scratch. Like, that's the thing. I mean, that's the thing we talk about on this podcast a lot. If you're yeah. not happy with what you're doing, like, you can start from scratch. You're yes. not... Your brain still it just works takes more. It, it just takes, takes more. It's more, more impressive. It's just more impressive. When I hear about, you know, for as a writer, there's like, um, I, I've now, I'm now going to get them wrong, but I used to have like a sort of running list in my mind of being like, you know, Toni Morrison published her first book when she was like 42. That's you right. Know, right, like, right, like right. a running list, you know? Right, and then right. there's certain other people you ignore, like Keats, who was yeah. dead by 26. <laughs> um, you know, that right, person- right. We don't talk about Michelangelo. I think twenty five, he can he can jump in a lake. But we, yeah. <laughs> like, but you know, you keep a running list of the people who, yeah, go again, start over, yeah, start over. But it is it is that idea because it can be so overwhelming when the slot that you've been in and the place you've been in is changing around you and you don't really fit anywhere anymore. Then it is like, oh, I have to remove myself. I have to not allow this to keep. I, I just need to keep renewing and I need to let my ego go to the wayside, which is so, which is kind of the impossibility of the whole thing. And well, speaking of ego, I'm going to say something kind of gross, but uh, yeah, one of the please. blurbs was that I didn't, that I actually sort of learned something from, because, you know, you sort of, you don't see yourself in the mirror exactly as you are, um, you you know, until someone else sort of comes in and, you know, before the reviews, the blurbs come uh, ideally. And one of them was from uh, John Mulaney, which was wonderful. Um, but it was his. It, I, it's so funny because it was just in a blurb. It wasn't like a, I don't think he meant it as a deep thing. I think he thought yeah. I already knew it. Um, he said it's something like about the pain of watching someone fit less and less in the world. And I'm like, oh, that is what the book is about. And I hadn't, I hadn't really noticed it. Um, 
because so much of when you're writing a book like this, uh, which I hope I never have to do again, but um, of this, you know, it's not in the marketing materials because it feels very, speaking of the early aughts, but, uh, you know, if it's technically a year. I just didn't want to do like my year of loss, <laughs> but right. technically from the burglary to COVID is really a year. Um, okay. And for those, it's so funny. I almost always want to issue more of a warning to people about the COVIDness of the book than the suicide, because I think people are so sick of reading about COVID. I'm like, don't worry, it's not that long. <laughs> but but it's just but 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 John saying, you know, I hadn't really noticed it was a year of grief. And I also hadn't really noticed that it was about yeah, it's about watching someone fit less and less in the world. It's just to me, it's just sort of what happened to my friend, you know? Yeah. yeah but I do think course. people can relate relate to that. But how did it change how you think about fitting in the world or mm. didn't it? I feel like I worry about it. I worry about it a lot because I feel like I think that I was thinking sort of abstractly before I got on the phone Zoom with you um, yeah. about this podcast and about there's, there's – this is I'm going to be gross and now quote myself again. Uh, but there's a bit where I – say that, you know, I found myself at an age where I struggle because I find myself at an age where one wants to take credit for one's experience, yes. but also wants to swallow one's experience in yes. conversation. Yes. Lest one reveal one was around to witness the Pleistocene, <laughs> you know? So like it becomes, it's all cute and not only cute rather, but um, impressive and ambitious to, you know, be like, I had an assistant by this age. I was doing this at this age. You know, consider me a grown-up. Consider me a grown-up. Yeah. And this weird mental price you pay for that later, which I'm not suggesting you should be ambitious. I mean, it's the best thing you can be. But I just feel like the mental price later is to almost tack years on because you had a big life really yes. early on. Yes. And so then when you're when it's later, you're like, oh my God, I was there the last night of that club. I uh, wrote for that magazine. Do you know, I was an intern, ready? I'm going to blow everyone's doors off. I was an intern at Mirabella. <laughs> <laughs> you know? You're blowing my doors off, yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the truth is it was my last, it was the last summer it existed. So that's what, that's the part that's silent. So, you know, it is actually, you know, I'm on the line. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people my age feel that way. Um, and it's like, so I feel like for me in terms of how I operate, I feel like, um, I do worry about becoming disconnected. Like how do you have opinions, uh, and friendships with opinions about and friendships with people who are much younger than you without sounding like, like a wise old lady in the corner, like a crow. I mean, I think you just don't. I, I, I hear that entirely. You just don't. I, you don't you talk to don't. anybody under the age of 30. <laughs> no, you just you just don't recite your resume. Mm. It's kind yes. of that simple. Uh, because yeah. and you and you have an open mind. I just did and that. You, I just told you about it. No, but but but, but yeah, and I and I was about to be like, and I worked to talk. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's like there you go. So, you know, like, yeah, you have fun. an open mind. Yes. But I just I guess I feel like I I sometimes worry about the balance of experience where I want it to be useful for myself, for other yeah. people. I want to be happier in the world because of it and more full in the world because of it. Um, the same way you want to be well read, but how yeah. do I not bludgeon people with it? 
I think it's the same as any way of not being an Don't asshole, be a jerk. right? Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. it's the same way as not being an asshole. It's just not having an idea that the time you lived in was better than the time that's happening now. Which and is actually a lot. There's a lot of that in the book too about nostalgia and Russell. I think Russell had that idea to like a poisonous degree and yeah. I struggle against having that idea. I mean, the problem is, is that as someone who's a writer, who works in media, who sees people being laid off, things folding, yeah. opportunities shutting, attention spans decreasing. Um, it does feel it's hard to remember that people thought about that, you know, with the advent of the television. <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to not feel nostalgic for it when there's really concrete repercussions like people losing their livelihoods. Um I don't know. I worry about like irrelevance sometimes, but not not really, because I think, what am I gonna do? you know, pack it up. Right. Exactly. I mean, I guess that's, that's sort of a, um, that's, that's sort of like where, where I want to land this. What, where, what do you still want to do? Oh, after this? Like, what do you still, yeah. After this, what, ha what's, what's your next Yeah. Thing? I feel like, well, I have a fiction. I have a fiction. Okay. <laughs> you have a, you I have, have a, a yarn I would like to spin. <laughs> I have a fiction. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I have a couple of ideas that are like, um, they're still sort of in their zygote stage, so I can't really, you know, okay. but I do feel like there's a great, there's a great joy in being comfortable enough to, you know, after the first, like, this is my sixth book, my seventh, if you count one, I really stupid one I wrote under a pseudonym, <laughs> but like, it's, it's my sixth book and it's like, I'm really going to do this. But it took that long to be like, yep, this is who I am and it's what I'm going to do. I don't think it's the only thing I'll ever do. Yeah. But, you know, it's not, I'm not going to stray uh, too far sort of away from it. It's not like I'm now going to whittle things. I have no whittling skills. But I feel like I've, you know, thinking about movies and television, theater, things like that. Yeah. So that so you so you have you have a lot of creative aspirations. It's I think like, so. but it seems like you're taking them one at a time. It's not like you're like, and I'm gonna write. No, well, because I've never, but I've never really ever. wanted. Yeah. For the same reason, I don't have a tattoo, because I feel like I usually do it one one at a time. I've never been like, I'm in the mood for a tattoo and then fill in the image. You know, it's more like I, it's as it as it comes. Um, and I guess the assurance is more just something else will come. But it's scary. There's always this time period, honestly, this time period right now when promoting a book and you're talking about something that existed in the past that still, you know, freshly in the past still means a lot to you, hopefully, you know, uh, will for some time. And it's like, what if I never think of anything again? But I think it's healthy. I thought about that. Every essay I've ever finished, I've written, you know, I don't know, a hundred and something essays that aren't in the books. And every time I'm done with right. one, I'm like, well, that was fun. It was that a real, real <laughs> career there for a minute. <laughs> that was the last good idea. It was the last good idea. Well, because sometimes it feels like your whole – I mean, you you know what it's like where people ask you questions, especially like at this age, in an interview yeah. where they, in this delightful way, apply so much purpose and such a straight line to your past. And for me, it's always been funny because – you know, questions about, oh, what would you recommend if someone wanted to publish a book, stuff like that. And I'm like, the way I got published is insane. I worked basically as like a sort of handmaid <laughs> for a bunch of different authors. <laughs> well, not handmaid in the, you know, in the right. Atwoodian yeah. sense, <laughs> but for a bunch of different, yeah, actually, exactly right, Margaret, right. Margaret Atwood, funny, but like <laughs> for a bunch of different authors 
and then sent an email to a friend of mine who worked at the Village Voice uh, about an experience I had had. And he's like, yeah, I'll turn this into an essay and I'll publish it. Uh, I then started writing for the Village Voice, then the Observer, and then I got my first book of essays. But like all of that, the idea of recommending to somebody, oh, do you want to become a writer? You should definitely work on a bunch of different authors' tour schedules on the off chance that you start emailing someone at the Village Voice about you know, work-related item. I mean, it's just, it's all this mess and people assume so much purpose to it. And I think what I've learned from that is that feeling I have of, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do next doesn't mean there will not be a next <laughs> and it's okay and be comfortable yes. <laughs> not knowing. So yeah, I have some projects yeah. in the works, but they're all like a big shrug emoji. I think that's the best way to yeah. do it because, you know, every, every one, you just never know how people are. And it's also, it has to be for you because you don't know how people are going to receive it. You don't know, you don't know, you don't know anything. And the prescriptive guides are, I had that same feeling because I wrote a self-help book I know. and like, I would be out promoting it and I would be like, oh, my story doesn't apply to anybody here. This is bullshit. This should not be prescriptive. Like I can't, I can't tell you how to do this. I can tell you some But it still works though, right? And, people got a lot out of it. It still yeah, works. Yeah. I still get emails from people that it like, you know, it helped them. But I, I had this, I had a trim, I had some guilt around it because I was like, I don't really, I don't know if this is transferable and I don't know if that's fair, you know? So yeah, then I had, what do you yeah. think the people like, even the people who give, let's let's take it to the the sort of highest level of this kind of thing. Even the people who are giving TED Talks, what do you think they know that you don't? I mean, yes, if it's like a Star Perel, you know, yes, but yes. Otherwise, that I I you know you I mean, who has a literal degree, you know, yes. But barring that, they it's the specificity that people attach to. Totally. You know, the generalizations, they don't. And I mean, at least I hope that's true because Russell was a very specific person. I told a very specific story. There's no coda at the end of this that says, you know, a little box, let's say, laid out on the book that's like, should this happen to you? You know, for what this is, this is a book only for people who have been um, burglarized and then their dear friends die of suicide a month later. Frankly, it's a shitty marketing plan. Do you, do you know what I mean? <laughs> It's like, it's like, I need to pay rent. It's not going to make me any money. So it's like, it's, you've got, so hopefully that specificity comes out the other side, you know, and yeah. it did with you too. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it, yeah, it's just, you're always grappling with something and you just hope that um, it's, if it, somebody sees their reflection in it, that's all. They will. They will. That's I it. mean, it's it. They will, and it's just um, so far. It's been actually kind of really moving what people have seen that yeah. I'm surprised by. Death. Yeah. It's not suicide that I've gotten letters about. Um, a lot of a lot of letters or emails about uh, people who have had loved ones die by suicide, but also people who have been like divorced, people who uh, are terribly homesick or in a foreign country. Like it's really any sort of grief that you feel that real profound missing. Um, yeah. Grief in its many, many, many forms. Many forms. Many yeah, forms. Yeah, it's really, it's really, it's amazing. It's, it's really lovely to, to yeah. touch people like that. It's really lovely to touch people accidentally. Can that be the last <laughs> thing I say? That be well, listen, I wish you every, all the best, all the good things oh, on this you. book tour. And Seriously. thank you for saying such wonderful things about the book. I mean, 
It's really, it's actually, I mean, I know this is being recorded. It actually comes out uh, next week. It hasn't come out quite yet. So I don't actually have like this deluge of feedback yet. So yeah. thank you. Thank You're you. so welcome. And every, as everyone knows, listen to this podcast. I wouldn't say if it wasn't true because I'm <laughs> Um, so where can people find you? Where can they, where can they find you oh. in your work? Yeah. Uh, well, sloancrosley.com is a, is a pretty good, uh, resource for all things about Bradley Cooper. No, it's, they're all, that'd be really funny. Just <laughs> that like, would just be the best. Tri- it's a just Bradley like, Cooper tribute page. Oh my God. I, would I wouldn't please. even do that. I um, know, but, but it would be But fun. yeah, it's a, yeah, sloancrosley.com. Um, and the book is available, uh, for pre-order now on Bookshop. It's available everywhere. I'm also going on tour. I'll be in LA. Um, I, I don't have the tour dates off the top of my head, but you know where they are? They're on sloancrosley.com. Sloancrosley.com. Go to mm-hmm. that and find Sloan and go to one of Sloan's events. That would be amazing. Yeah. I have a, I'm, I'm being joined by, I mean, it's, I'm really lucky. I have a lot. Yeah. Of you have an uh, all-star lineup. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I'm intimidated by them, actually. I'm like, you guys should not be asking me questions. This is actually ludicrous, but Well, it's okay. better that way <laughs> than the other way around. It's better them asking you questions than you having to be like, hello, Susan Orlean. <laughs> yeah, Susan is in. Yes. <gasps> that's that's a little bit, but it is sort of a little, uh, it's weird to put people you really respect in a in a position of having to ask you questions or doing work. Which is yeah, just forcing strange. them to read your but book. But that's honestly yeah. what all book publishing is, or anyone who's ever had anything out. It's like it's such a strange thing. You write these letters to people, basically saying whether it's a blurb or to do an event or whatever you want from them. The idea of saying I'm such a big fan. Let me show you how big a fan I am by asking you to do something for me for free. <laughs> it's the worst. It's so terrible. Worst. Such it a is terrible the, dynamic. It is a, just a terrible practice. You're just like, oh, please, please, you know, but also sorry to take up like five of your days. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, it's, it's a real – but I mean, I guess it's being a good citizen, but it's still – I don't know. I have such empathy for it when people do it to me. I can't imagine what someone like, you know, I mean, it's like Curtis Sittenfeld and, and Sigurd oh. Nunez in New York. I'm like, what have I done? But yeah. I am, that's not false modesty. I am really uh, nervous, but also like really thrilled. So it's a great book. It's a good time. It's a great book. It's a good oh, thank time. You. And thank um, you. it's a good time for it to yeah, come it's out. Weirdly, like. It's like, oh yeah, but I thought a good time. Yeah. I was like, it is a good time. It's a weirdly funny book, but yes, it's a good time. Yes. Uh, uh, time in the world. Yeah, it is. It's a good time to reflect on grief and where we've been. Um, thank you, Sloan Crosley. Thank you. Crosley. 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 Sloan Crosley. All right, good to see you too. Good to see you. Thanks for listening to Everything is Fine, everyone. If you like the show, please rate and review it on the platforms, especially Apple Podcasts. It really helps people find the show and it makes a difference. If you want to support the production of the show, I keep meaning to say this at the beginning of the episode, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash everything is fine. Um, it's $3 is the entry point to join. You can also join as a free subscriber. And sometimes we put up free things there. If you want to follow this show on social media, we have a robust and private Facebook group. Um, that's just on Facebook. Everything is fine. You'll find it. Um, we're also on Instagram at EIF podcast. You can find Kim on her Substack, kimfrance.substack.com, girls of a certain age. You can find me at Jen Ramalini's Vanity on Instagram and some other places. You can pre-order my book, Ambition Monster is the name of the book. It's in the show notes where you can pre-order my book if you want to. 
The show is mixed and edited by the wonderful, amazing Natalie Rivera. Natalie, thank you. And we'll be back next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina.